Greetings and welcome back to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Pulse, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner, and tomorrow is Halloween 2023. So for this episode of the Deadology Podcast, uh, we're going to have a Grateful Dead Halloween, Scary Jams, and Final Treats. The Grateful Dead played on 13 years on Halloween, 14 shows over a 13-year period. So it's fitting that this episode, this is episode 13 of the podcast. Now, if we were to dig into all these shows, this vast archive of Halloween shows, I'd probably have to go through five podcasts to get to get through it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a, a deep dive into my favorite Halloween show, which also I believe is the very best one from... Uh, 1971, Columbus, Ohio, and do a, a history touching kind of on all the different aspects of the uh, Halloween shows over the years. Uh, so let's begin with Stony Brook, 1970. First, the Grateful Dead did play four times in the 60s on Halloween, 66 through 69. Uh, we're either missing tapes or set lists, or none of these shows were truly epic. So 1970 is a good place to start just to go through a history of uh, what, what happened on Halloween. And one of the strange themes, themes which I've noticed um, throughout the history on this particular date in Deadology is the final treat part. There are so many vers- final versions of songs that were played on Halloween. Uh, I believe this is mostly just random, but it's a very unusual coincidence. And you'll see what I mean as I go through some of the... Uh, final versions that were played on this state. Uh, Starting with Stony Brook, 1970, it's a state university, a small gym, great place, must have been a great place to see the Grateful Dead. I saw a Jerry Garcia band there in 1983, uh, one of the most memorable Garcia band shows, Uh, but I'm sure the the people out there on Halloween, on Stony Brook, the Deadheads in 1970, were not disappointed because it's two hot shows. Uh, the, The early show is the one that features the last version of a song. They played it, uh, the Dead played an amazing uh, triple uh, triple combo, 10 the first, 10 that, uh, 10 that show, Viola Lee Blues into Cumberland Blues into Uncle John's Band. Yeah, it's, uh, it's as good as it sounds. Last version of Viola uh, Lee Blues, and it's, it's very fitting uh, the way that unfolded. It's a shorter version of Viola Lee, and it goes into two of the new songs, newer songs from Working Men's Dead, Cumberland and Uncle John's, kind of like a, a handoff to the future. One of their early classics from 1966 from their first album, uh, giving way to Uncle John's band and Cumberland Blues the, to the future. So um, I, don't, I know they didn't plan it out like that, but it's pretty cool how that happened. And also, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that over the years they never brought back Viola Lee of all the different breakout songs and songs that they broke back, uh, brought back for big occasions. Uh, Viola Lee would have been very well received, but uh, the last last time they played it, October 31st, 1970. Then, of course, 1971 is the Columbus, Ohio show, which I'll circle back to and uh, go into more detail on that one. And for a band that liked to play a lot on Halloween, here's the big hiatus from 19... 19- there were no shows between 1971 and 79, which was the next time they played. So eight years of no Halloween shows. So Hall- Grateful Dead Halloween returns October 31st, 1979, Nassau Coliseum. 
and Deadheads filing into the arena on that night got quite a treat as the band opened up with China Cat Rider, a very rare opener. Um, I'm not looking at any stats right now. I think it was last done in uh, 72 was the last time they opened a show with that, so that must have been a great thrill for everybody on hand. A very good 79 show. Of course, the next night features that super long Scarlet Fire from November 1st, 1979 in the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, moving right along, they played a, another Halloween show the following year, 1980, and this one's pretty famous, the Radio City show, which was uh, broadcast, uh, not broadcast, it was a circuit, uh, closed circuit uh, broadcast on the East Coast of this show, um, an end of an amazing acoustic electric run uh, of, through the month of uh, late September and the month of October. Uh, a lot of this song's performances that night made it onto the Dead Ahead DVD. And, uh, you know, just such a great acoustic set that night. And there were three uh, three songs, uh, Heaven Help the Fool, Sage and Spirit, and Little Sadie. Those were the three songs that kicked the acoustic set off. And those were the last performances of all three songs. Now let's uh, give a little listen to Heaven Help the Fool. Good old Grateful Dead on Halloween, locking into an acoustic groove. Heaven help the fool for the last time. They open up the electric set that night with a smoking Jack Straw, followed by Cold Rain and Snow. Those were definitely the highlights from that Radio City show. What a memorable run that was at Radio City and the Warfield and the Sanger in uh, New Orleans. And then the next Halloween show for the Grateful Dead was... 1983 Marin County Veterans Auditorium. And uh, this show was stocked with uh, great songs. Opened up Wang Dang Doodle, um, Brother Esau, uh, First Set Ends with a Deal. Uh, it's a tape I've listened to many times. I really enjoy this. One of the better West Coast 83 shows. And then you get a Help Slip Franklin's to open set two, Estimated Eyes. And then the big one, uh, they had played two St. Stephen's on the East Coast for Madison Square Garden and the Hartford Civic Center broke it out uh, back east. And they, of course, they had to do it once out west. So they picked this night, Halloween, uh, to play St. Stephen. Very cool version, well played. And it's the last St. Stephen of all time. Eddie, rest in peace, St. Stephen. Uh, you know, amazing that 1983, they went another... 12 years without breaking out St. Stephen again, but um, uh, to go along with the theme of less play tunes on uh, Halloween, that was the last St. Stephen ever. Next year, 1984, they're in the Berkeley Community Theater for Halloween. 
another fine show that was a it was either a five or six night run in the Berkeley Community Theater. I'm not looking at any stats. Believe it or not, I'm doing most of this show off the top of my head. Um, so on Halloween, uh, another last performance. Uh, incredible that all these last performances popped up on Halloween. Last time they ever played Lazy Lightning Supplication. And it was it was too bad to see that one go. That was one of the more exciting first set songs. And... Uh, and this version, a lot of hot jamming. Jerry goes off on the supplication. And the problem with Lazy Lightning supplication, uh, at least I, th- I think this is my theory on why they stopped playing it, it's a type of song, if you don't play it three or four times a tour, you kind of l- lose the feel of it. Um, you know, in the late 70s, they played it a lot. And then when the, the 80s rolled around, they, it would be maybe once a tour at the most, you know, starting with about 1981, 82. Definitely became a, a rare, a rare song to catch, and um, as a, con- you know, a consequence of that, I think some of the versions began to suffer a little bit. Not that they were still desirable; they sounded great, the jamming was hot, but Weir would forget a lyric, the band's timing would be off here and there, so they just gave up on playing the combination. Even though they, they you know, they would play supplication jams, but the verses were done, and uh, in essence. It, for all practical purposes, Lazy Lightning Supplication was done. This was the last time Lazy Lightning was played for sure. Um, on Halloween, 1984, in the Berkeley Community Theater. Very good uh, show that night. I think they played Morning Dew later on. Um, first version of Superstitious. And Matthew Kelly joined the band in the uh, first set. Following year, another Halloween uh, extravaganza, Carolina Coliseum. And um, and that's in Columbia, South Carolina. Let's hear how that show started out. Thank you. 
the hairy-handed gent who ran a monk in Kent, and lately he's been overheard in Mayfair. Wow, what a treat for the people in the Carolina Coliseum that night. Space Werewolves of London to open up the show. And it was the first time the Grateful Dead played Werewolves of London since Red Rocks 1978. Seven whole years passed by without a Werewolves. They picked a great time to break it out again. And uh, Werewolves was followed by Music Never Stopped on the night. So the that show, October 31st, 85, got off to a spectacular start. And then they didn't, the Grateful Dead didn't play Werewolves of London again until Halloween 1991. And guess where they were? London. So, of course, they had to do a Werewolves of London for the Wembley Arena on that night. It was the encore. And then, along with the theme of final performances, the Grateful Dead played their last Werewolves of London uh, the following year on Halloween 91 in the Oakland Coliseum. Before circling back to that great, uh, but by the way, those two 90 shows, excellent set lists, uh, both, both Halloween shows. And before we circle back to the 1971 show, uh, which we're going to take a dive into that second set, I got to pay a little uh, tribute, homage to the great Warren Zevon, who's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I can't figure out why, man, such a great songwriter, um, piano player, uh, Wrote great compositions, great guitarist, uh, but somehow he is not—he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you take a look at, uh, there's at least 50 people who should not be in there ahead of uh, Warren Zevon, and things like that really don't matter too much. You know, nothing's at stake with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But someone who doesn't know the history of rock and roll, who may just know the Rolling Stones and the Who, and may know the Grateful Dead, they may not know—may not not know Warren Zevon. And they should be able to walk through that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see Warren Zevon and say, I never heard of him. Let me go get a couple of his albums. Let me find out why this guy's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, so Zevon should definitely be in there. Just think of all the, the great songs and albums he had through the years. Songs besides Werewolves, you got uh, Accidentally Like a Martyr, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, Boom Boom Mancini, Sentimental Hygiene. And um, so many great artists played on his albums uh, through through the years. Carmelita is another song I love. I think Linda Ronstadt covered that. She also covered Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. So, yeah, so many artists covered his songs, and so many artists came to play with him in the studio. On his uh, album, Sentimental Hygiene, uh, we have Bob Dylan came in, did a song, played some, played, played some harmonica on a song, and Dylan told Zevon how much he enjoyed his songwriting, Neil Young played on that album. Uh, David Gilmore's played with him. And Jerry Garcia played on two songs on Transverse City, his 1989 album. So, uh, without doubt, Warren Zevon is a legend. And now we're going to move back to Columbus, Ohio, Ohio Theater. The Grateful Dead on Halloween 1971. And uh, this was uh, released as Dick's Picks, Volume 2. So the Grateful Dead archivist was all over this. He loved this show. And it's the only show in that se- in the whole Dick's Picks series, which is just one CD. And it, it's so perfect because it's a masterpiece. The first set's very good, but this second set is just a nonstop one segment, not too long, 
but it's an ultimate masterpiece. To me, it's the greatest official release. One disc, if you took one disc out of all the discs, even ones that are longer than a single disc, to me, this is the one disc that stands out. I would say, get this one. The second set from 103171, Columbus. And um, Steve Silberman was interviewing Dick Lovala for uh, prior to this, uh, to the release of the volume two. And this is what Dick said. This show was like getting hit with a brick in the face. I couldn't believe it. I put it on again and said, man, I must have played it 10 times before I could talk. And um, yeah, I don't know if I had the same exact reaction when I first heard it, but it has stayed with me through the years. I just, I, somewhere along the line, I heard it and heard it again. And somewhere along the line, I said, I felt like I was getting hit with a brick in the face. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And you may wonder why, why is this so great? Um, well, it starts off, it's a, it's a complete masterpiece. Set two starts off with Dark Star. And uh, this Dark Star, if you could wor- use the use the word tight on the money, this is maybe the only great Dark Star that fits that description. It's 23 minutes long, but it's so lyrical and just m- moves out beautifully and it grips you. You know, some Dark Stars give you, you got plenty of time to space out and the Grateful Dead kind of go all over the place. This one is just so... It's a compos- It was as if the composition was written out, and the Grateful Dead were playing it as as it was written out. It's it's that on the money the, all the way through. Just Jerry and Phil doing uh you know doing individual lines that totally complement each other um, against all odds, and just a beautiful pr- progression. It keeps getting more intense. Nothing is overstayed, and you wouldn't want to cut anything out. It's just perfect. You get you get to the singing. And um, it's just totally engaging. This is the type of dark star where if you're going to turn a, a non-Grateful Dead fan onto to a dark star, it would have to be this one because this one could actually keep somebody engaged for the full 23 minutes. It's that, everything about it. So after uh, they get through to the verse first, um, you know, the playing starts getting a little trippy, but uh, nothing, there's no uh, superfluous uh, jamming on it, you know, everything is very pointed, and then they go into that tighten up soulful jam, and uh, it was always a bonus when the when the dead broke into uh, one of those thematic jams uh, during Dark Star. They would it would usually either be feeling groovy or tighten up. On this occasion, it's tighten up, and for about five six minutes, it's just it's, it's intense, man. It's it's so incredible, and once again, it goes to that focused linear kind of. Uh, thought process that was going on the band's just so on this and then after after the they kind of get through the tighten up progression some more some more jamming and you, you don't want this 110 but it's just 23 minutes of joy but but it does end and the next song is is pretty it's incredible they go into the first sugar magnolia out of dark star and it's such a there's something about that combination i mean Back in the day, Dark Star St. Stephen was it. You know, that, that was the, you know, probably nothing beats that. But, um, you know, the, the, to work, Sugar Mag just works so well off of uh, off of Dark Star to, to pull you out and pull you into a rock and roll into the new Grateful Dead world. And um, the, the, the Dark Star Sugar Mags, if you look at the Europe 72 versions, 
You got the one from uh, London, Wembley Arena, April 8th. Uh, Amsterdam, May 11th. I think the Copenhagen one, I believe that's April 17th. It could be the 14th, I forget. But um, yeah, it was just such a great connection. Dark Star into Sugar Mag. It like snapped the perfect thing to come out of, come out of Dark Star. And this version in, uh, in Halloween in Columbus, excellent. Um, probably the best version of Sugar Mag up to that point. Sugar Mag, you know, new song. They've been playing it a little over a year or so. And 1972 to 1974, they just killed the song. It was a ridiculous, the jams they were doing. That was definitely the golden years for Sugar Mag. And this might be the first great version. Very hot. And uh, Sugar Mag comes to an end. And there's a brief pause where the band seems to take a collective breath. And then they go for St. Stephen. As always, the crowd is stoked in Columbus when, when they go into St. Stephen, as any crowd would be. Uh, something about, about that song that always gets the crowd pumped. And um, St. Stephen was performed with like a new sense of purpose because Sugar Mag kind of took over its uh, role, you know, f- uh, coming out of Dark Star. Uh, the St. Stephen is insane. It's f- so hot, man. Just to hear Jerry and Bob doing the uh, f- chord fanning, uh, just getting hotter and hotter. An amazing version. And um, can you answer? Yes, I can. But what would be the answer to the answer, man? Then they bop into not fade away. But just to take it back to St. Stephen for a second, this is the last St. Stephen they do for five years. Uh, for some reason, uh, they put it away. 1976, after the after the Grateful Dead's little touring hiatus, uh, was the next time they would play it. So this is another kind of, not the final version, but at least uh, the final version for five years of, of St. Stephen. And why they put it away, I can't, I can't get it because they were playing this song so hot in 1971. This is really a great version, the, uh, the, the Columbus version. But now that they got everything at the show is totally peaking. They finished St. Stephen and man, they, they just jump into this not fade away. And I hear so many versions where the transition goes into not fade away, but there's just like such bravado in the playing. And, you know, and everybody in that band is just on top of the world like never before. And obviously they're feeling good, man. Keith Gotcho's in the band and just the sound, everything is on like such an upswing. They got all those new songs, the uh, Jack Straw, Comes a Time. Uh, If there's ever like a time where the Grateful Dead felt confident and felt like they, like, the wind was at their back and they could do no wrong. Uh, this, this around this time of the tour is when that, that feeling really kicked in and you could just hear them out in front. It's not fade away the way Jerry's singing it. It's almost like he wants to push Bob out of the way and take over the lead vocals. And, um, you know, Dick in describing this when, when it gets to the, to the jam of not fade away, uh, Dick Lidvala said, I have to put myself in a seatbelt. I start shaking. It's so exciting. And, and, well, I, 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 don't, I don't use a seatbelt. I just take the uh, dangerous items out of the room. I'm listening in and, and uh, put them away, you know, so take all the sharp items out of, out of the room. I mean, it's, it's that hot. It's crazy. Garcia goes off and it's just, you know, hotter and hotter and you, you, can't, you can't even believe it. You know, it's, they're going to go into going down the road, but it's, you know, I, I think it's hotter than any not fade away jam, even when they, when they do the song, you know, in its own right without anything uh, cutting into it. You know, so just uh, in- incredible stuff there. And, and 
Jerry's just on a roll. The band's on a roll. They make it seem as easy as unspooling yarn. And then they uh, go into going down the road, not feeling bad. Not, not feeling, going down the road, feeling bad. They were feeling bad, as in bad mothers. So yeah, they they were they're into going down the down the road. And this is just off Skull and Roses, and that's such a great version. But man, they managed to take this to like a whole nother level in late '71. This is definitely the best period. They have uh, some great versions of it in '72, but this. Um, pure first period when Keith joins the band in October, uh, they just go off on the on these versions. It's a it's a very good uh, going down the road. Uh, one of my friends, when we talk about the which is the best version, he always reminds me that's just a good going down the road. It's not spectacular because the rest the rest of it is uh, spectacular. Yeah, I think it's a way above average going down the road. Um, one that you'll be very happy with. But then after, at the end of this going down the road. Uh, comes one of the greatest little pieces of music from the Grateful Dead. I just love this Segway Jam so much. Um, at sometimes in '72, and when they first came out with with this combination, at the end of going down the road, they would pretty swiftly go back into that not fade away. You know, it was always exciting to go back into the not fade away reprise. But on this version, they found this Segway Jam, which is just one of the craziest things I've ever heard. At the same time, they're leaving, going down the road. And charging into not fade away, it's it's impossible for for a band to be at the same time playing two songs and understanding what the hell's going on. But they have this on lockdown, and I think this is uh, the appropriate time where I just take that not uh, going down the road, not fade away segue, and let you hear it. Grateful Dead going wild in Columbus, Ohio, 
Halloween, 1971. And after that, uh, just so creative segue, segue jam going back into Not Fade Away. The Not Fade Away reprise is one of the wildest rock and roll extravaganzas you'll ever hear from the Grateful Dead. It's just four minutes of equipment bashing, wild rock and roll, Weir's going nuts, uh, Jerry's doing these amazing riffs and then Not Fade Away reprise, just one of the great pieces of rock and roll you'll ever hear from the Grateful Dead. It's a type of finale that would make the Who blush. And um, that was the last song of the amazing segment of um, the Dick's Picks Volume 2, and they did a, a Johnny B. Good encore to finish the night off. Uh, there's so much, so much Grateful Dead to dig into on Halloween. Take your choice. Listen to some Grateful Dead. Have a happy Halloween. And this is episode 13 of the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Thanks for listening. I'm kicking around a few ideas for next week's show. Um, I, th- I think I have something in store, but um, whatever it is, I think I'm going to do some Garcia Band next week. Maybe do a Garcia Band, Grateful Dead, double header. Uh, people seem to like that when I get a little Jerry Garcia Band involved into the equation. Uh, by the way, I got a YouTube page, Positively Garcia. You can find a lot of the versions I talked about uh, on today's show there. Uh, my books are available on Amazon. Also, I got a website, tangleupintunes.com. My book, Deadology, the 33 Essential Dates of Grateful Dead History, goes deeper into the October 31st, which is obviously one of the 33 essential dates. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you all. Until next week, peace out.